Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. When the X-Men started in 1963, there were five men and one token girl. That girl would go on to catapult the X-Men to illogical heights of success alongside other amazing women like Storm, Kitty Pride, among other. I'm sorry, Kate nowadays. Of course, the X-Men didn't just stop there. The tapestry of incredible, powerful women that come together to form the X-Men has never been better represented than it is now in the dawn of X under the leadership of John Hickman. I couldn't be more excited that the books we're going to talk about today are seemingly star vehicles for a number of our favorite X-Ladies. That, of course, makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive the experience, unlike Pyro, in that one vision that Emma gave uh, Yellowjacket. <laughs> Yo, that, that cycle of visions was one of the craziest things, and I can't wait to get to it. That was... Oh, man. And I'm still playing way too much Contest of Champions. So every time I see a yellow jacket, I'm like, heh, <laughs> explode. <laughs> like, I'm so excited to talk about the X-Books this month. But, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of news between last episode and this episode. There wasn't a lot of news. So that completely takes out my entire role of the show. So have a great day, everybody. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. Not really. All right, goodbye, everyone. What a great podcast. See you guys next time. You guys can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-T. Wait, no, that's not how you spell my name. (laughs) This is National Women's History Month, and today of the day that we're recording this episode is International Women's Day, and I wanted to also continue this celebration of female characters and ask everyone on the panel who your two favorite ex-women are. And since we have an amazing woman of our own on the panel, let's start with Regina. I knew you were going to start with me. (laughs) It's like asking me to pick which one is my favorite child. (laughs) Well, the good news is he's letting you pick two. Yeah. So as long as you only have two children, (laughs) you're fine. Anything more than that. And it's kind of, yeah, this is, I'm sorry. You got to make some Sophie's choices now. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my first love was Rogue. I'm just going to put that out there. She's, she's always going to be my favorite. I've related to her in so many ways over the years. And I've really enjoyed seeing her character evolve throughout the years, going back and forth and, you know, with Gambit and not with Gambit, not with Magneto. Sorry, Nico. Um, and I, I guess I would have to say my second favorite character would be Moonstar. And you've heard me talk about her before. I love her so much. <laughs> and she's so amazing. She is so strong. And she is always just up there. I mean, as far as her leadership capabilities and her fighting skills, she to me, she is equal to Storm in so many ways. They have so many similarities. And I wish she was a more popular character, but I love her and everything she's ever been in. And I'm going to leave it at that. 
such great choices. I love that you went for such a well-known character and then like dived over to somebody who the whole world is going to find out a whole lot more about in New Mutants in just a few weeks. Kyle, who are your two favorites? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you mean, in this case, oh, boy. oh no, girl. Oh, girl. Jeez. <laughs> um how do you choose i mean definitely storm i i just just love how she's gone through so many different phases of strength and none of them have seemed lesser than any of the other versions of herself i guess i kind (laughs) sometimes you sound like shakira We are very lucky that your breasts are small and humble, so no one confuses them with mountains. But we do love that your hips do not lie. And it's terrific because you are, in fact, a she-wolf awoo. Well, I mean, if you are a she-wolf, you're probably living in an animal city. I guess I'll go with Kate. I just love how we've been able to follow her as she's grown up from that young teenage girl who was just learning how to use her powers and then grew into leading her own team. Teams, plural. And now we don't know. (laughs) We just don't. Jonah, let's move on to you. Well... My number one is Emma. I am a very impressionable gay young man. And whenever I see this dominatrix blonde, no, not even just because she's blonde, this this powerful woman who knows what she wants and doesn't take other people's shit and it's just so broken and nothing ever works out for her. Oh my God, it makes me so happy that she never gets what she wants. <laughs> I love her so much. I can't help it. All I ever want to do is just be like, yes, Emma. Yes, Emma. I just want to be put in the books and I just want to be like Emma's bodyguard and not do anything. <laughs> she doesn't need it, but I just that's what I want to do. And my number two, I'm so conflicted. I... I... Okay, I'm going to go with this option because my other option that I, as a very serious contender, we will be talking about later on in this episode. So my number two is magic. I don't know a lot about magic just yet. I haven't read all of her story and what she does, but there's just something about magic that she's kind of like the anti-magical girl, if that makes sense. Instead of transforming into this, you know, bright, bubbly personality and given like this destiny to do good, she was tortured and, you know, has to constantly battle with this evil side. Instead of transforming into ballet shoes, she transforms into Doc Martin. I get it. Yeah. So I, uh, there's just something about Ileana that I'm like, gimme, gimme all of it. So I'm happy that not only is she appearing in in the Fox first movies that looks for her character promising, but also that she's just taking over everywhere else in Marvel. So I'm not complaining. Nico, who are your two? Even though I dread hearing one of them. Stacy X and dupe. So <laughs> in all seriousness, my, my obvious number one is Jean. Obviously, we did a whole episode on how much I love Jean Grey. It's, it goes without saying. She is the duality of, you know, when you think about her in Uncanny X-Men 137, her only choice is the nuclear option. She has to die to preserve the girl next door. And then you think about it in New X-Men 148 and 150, and she has to become death to preserve her boy next door and allow Emma an opportunity to become the girl next door. And the whole thing, this cyclical idea that she is at 
at all times homecoming queen and the end of the world is just such a powerful duality to be foisted upon the first ever X-Woman. Now, my number two is probably a little bit more I'm going to get poked with a stick, but Cassandra Nova, I just... Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I even said I was going to get poked with a stick. Kyle, Can I, change my I completely answer to Martha? agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Wait, you completely agree with... Yeah, I agree with Kyle's remark about Cassandra and Jonah. No, 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 Martha. Okay, Ernst. Hey. I, I love that Cassie Nova represents the update of the dream. When New X-Men was coming out, it was coming out in that very ultimate X-Men, everything is edgy era. And quite literally, this this wasn't even Xavier in a wig. You know what I mean? This is just bald lady Xavier. She's basically described as an abortion that picks itself up off the ground in the sewer and makes a little rat body for itself. And she goes on to execute half of a species to prove something to her brother. I'm not saying that I like her decision making, but I'm saying she makes for a fascinating character study. In a psychotic kind of way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan, who are your two favorites? Aw, thanks for asking, Jonah. My first favorite is my absolute number one, even though other people think other characters are my number one. Storm is my number one. Like most young gay men, Storm was... To me, like, my Beyonce before Beyonce was Beyonce. Storm was... Aonce. Yes. Beyonce. <laughs> Storm was the queen bee who seemed like she was, to me, always, I don't know, like, holding back. She was, always seemed way stronger than everyone else, but because she has that nice heart and soul about her like if storm was ever a villain in the regular 616 i know she's been a villain in other alternate realities i feel like the earth would be doomed so like yeah and my second choice is i don't know why no one else had her in their top two i mean she's the perfect answer and the perfect mutant so everyone knows that i'm talking stacy x i will quit this show right now (laughs) <laughs> Monet. Well, I had the ST right. St. <laughs> St. St. Croix. Uh, Stacy. The fact that we, it was close. You are talking about Stacy when I am trying to talk about Monet. <laughs> There's a panel that I always like to send people whenever they talk about Stacy, and it was when Stacy got on the Blackbird with the X Men and was talking about how they were going on a mission, and or how the X Men were going on a mission, and Monet looks at her and she goes. We're the X-Men, you're just a prostitute pretending to be, or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, Monet is my second choice because she's perfect. Dylan, this was an insightful question that I'm so glad you generated for us. I feel like we talked about Stacy more than we did anyone else, and that makes me ill. (laughs) Well, my point would actually be that Storm appeared on more lists than anyone else. Yes, that was pretty awesome. And that's pretty cool. Storm is kind of like the reigning ex-woman of all time, and it makes sense that she is represented as such. Hi, this is Pat. I'm one of the admins in House of Frost, and my favorite Dawn of X book is probably The Marauders because it features the best Emma Frost we've seen in years, and Jerry Duggan also makes great use of all of the characters that he has in the book.
All right, so this week we're going to talk about New Mutants number eight, A Hunting We Will Go. And our creative team was, writer was Ed Brisson, the artist was Marcos Faia, and the color artist was Carlos Lopez, and the letterer was VC's Travis Lanham. For so many issues, I've kind of felt like New Mutants hasn't exactly had a strong centralized narrative. I've enjoyed jumping all over. But with the fact that the New Mutants, New Mutants team, plus that little bit of Gen X, are going to wind up in the pages of Hickman's X-Men very soon throughout this Empire event that's going to occur, I find myself really happy to see this team taking over the mantle of the book. I would really love to see more of this team. I just don't like that they're going under the name New Mutants because I feel like that kind of sells this woman power team short. I've loved getting to see Boom Boom lead a book and I want to change the name of this show to the Boom Boom Room. I am super excited that we're getting armor in a lot of books. This mixing of characters seems more fluid than the combination of Chamber and Mondo with the other New Mutants. I don't know why, but armor with Boom Boom and Magma just seems like it flows better. Where we're at in New Mutants over on 80s Mutant Mania, we haven't read a lot of Amara, and she's not particularly one of my favorites. It's mostly because I don't know a lot about her. I don't think she's particularly interesting, at least in her first couple of appearances. So... This didn't make me love this issue. My love of Boom Boom, who is my second choice for my second favorite X-Woman of all time. As I said before, if you don't like Boom Boom, we cannot be friends. If you do not view Boom Boom as one of the greatest caricatures, I don't know what, I can't help you. I think Boom Boom, having the opportunity after everything I've heard where she's basically been told, you say you can do this, but we're never going to give you the opportunity. And her having that chance to showcase her prowess as a leader does make me really excited. I wanted to mention real quick that I thought it was really cool that for issue number eight of New Mutants that they had this story with Magma. It's really the first time we've seen Magma in Dawn of X. She may have been in like that one splash page of Xavier dying in X-Force number two. It was interesting that they had Magma show up in issue number eight because when it comes to the original New Mutants comics, issue number eight was when Magma made her first appearance. And we actually just covered that or it's about to come out on 80s Mutant Mania. So if you want to check out some of her earlier appearances, I believe it drops in the next month. So that's going to be a really great opportunity to find out a little bit more about Classic Amara. I love that sort of synergy catching that. It's like when Kyle finds all of the amazing tricks with the logos. It's always interesting to see the attempts at interconnectivity. Okay, that's actually really cool. And I I gotta say, having Magma show up here is wonderful. I feel like she doesn't get a lot of spotlight over the pretty much history of her character so being able to spend a little time with her especially in Nova Roma was a nice little treat. Well I really enjoyed this book especially the fact that most of the main characters were women. I hate to reduce Amara to her hairstyle which I'm not going to do but she does have notably short hair. Which I noticed because she's usually portrayed with having longer hair. It was a nice way to visually break her and Boom Boom up into more distinct characters since they're both blonde. Um, I found it very interesting. There's a scene where Sebastian Shaw is talking to a criminal enterprise, shall we say. <laughs> and he just <laughs> he just kind of lets them know, hey, um, I, I'm not doing business with you guys anymore. I'm allying myself with your enemies. 
I've put you out of business. I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to threaten you. I'm just making a deal with your, your opposition and they're going to be more successful and you're going to be out of business. And I found that a very interesting parallel to believe it was back in the, I want to say in the eighties, the U S government actually did something pretty similar where they basically allied themselves with a cartel that was opposed to a different cartel and put the first cartel out of business. And I was just wondering, I mean, I don't know, obviously, but I was, I was like, does this writer know a little bit about Latin American history? And maybe that's where he pulled it from. But I thought that was very interesting. The historical context of that, of that sort of reframing of this sequence really lends credibility to the idea that they're trying to create a true reflection of a culture emerging. So frequently people say, yeah, there was a mutant island before this, Genosha, Genosha, but truly Genosha was a two-dimensional look at a like nine-dimensional idea. And referencing that sort of real-life history, whether it was intended or not, Regina, that really creates a lot more weight to the argument. I just want to say how much... I- I loved the fight sequences in this book. The amount of energy that is displayed with the art and how vibrant all the coloring is, it just really shows a great kind of energy between these three characters. I loved the art with these three's powers. These three's powers are ones that need to be visually appealing when they are using their abilities and the art in these are amazing. And I love when artists can really draw magma and a sense of her not just looking like a chick that's on fire and has more depth, like old, like a lava lamp gets that Sienkiewiczness. Yes. The Sienkiewiczness art from prior when it actually does look like magma and not just fire. I don't know anything about armor, but I do really appreciate the stuff I have been seeing her in in New Mutants, so I am excited to get to know more about her. I think this cast of women taking on the problem of Nova Roma was really fascinating, and it was an interesting, I want to say, dichotomy and blending of the different eras of New Mutants and younger generation cast and I think they each these three women represented something that they can learn a lot from each other and it was a really interesting story I also want to quickly pivot to Regina talking about the Sebastian scene and part of my problem is I couldn't appreciate Sebastian taking care of Krakoa after the events of Marauders really weird and I don't I don't know how to feel about it isn't that real people too I mean there are real people who do really wonderful things but they do some really evil shit too and i think this is just part of the layering of his character is that he can do these things but he's still a shit person And I think that's even kind of like why it burns a little bit because he can do these things, but he chooses to be a shit person and like i just i just want to poke him with a really big stick I know Dylan would like to be poked by his really mm -hmm. big stick, but I was was coming back just to say that, but thanks. I got you covered. Um, I'm just wondering who this uh, mystery woman is that appears at the end. That's all. Not Elsa. No. (laughs) No. No. I'm naming every character now, not Elsa, until she appears. Elsa Bloodstone has gotten more airtime in this podcast than some characters have in the Dawn of X, like Monet. (laughs) 
And speaking of characters that have gotten a ton of screen time in the Dawn of X, Stacey X and Dupe have a team up this month. Do they really? No, they don't really have a team up this month. I'm not writing at Marvel right now. Oh my goodness. I'm going to invest in something that makes the sound of a door slamming. Just Oh, Dylan, you should get a soundboard and just play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next book we're going to look at is X-Force number eight, Game of Dominoes. The writer was Benjamin Percy. The artist was Oscar Bazaldua. The color artist was Guru FX. And the letterer was VC's Joe Caramagna. This was the second best-selling X-Book the week it came out. I'm not sure this has been my favorite arc. I really like what Percy is doing places, but this doesn't necessarily feel like a story that needs Domino. This kind of has a more open-world noir revenge vibe to it, and I like that. But part of loving Domino is loving her free-spirited fun and her energy, and I love that you're giving me this big, powerful, compelling dramatic domino story but i feel like it's coming at the cost of domino the character and i feel like i'm watching domino die a little too often i get that that's the point of this great krakoan age of everybody can die as many times as makes sense for the book but like while i'm not enjoying the actual domino versus this anti-domino character i do see the rest of this arc as the conclusion of what happened to her at the beginning of X-Force. And while I struggle with some of the ways that the characters in it have acted, I actually enjoy Domino's decision that comes out of it. So I guess I'd say I'm kind of yay on some parts, boo on other parts. Yay, boo. I'm with you. How about you guys too? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really enjoyed it. I'm a little on the fence with the whole domino, anti-domino thing, but I did enjoy seeing Dr. Reyes and Sage. Always. kind of working with her and talking to her and and just watching Domino kind of think and feel her way through what's been going on and what's happening with her specifically. And her and Colossus, you know, they used to be a thing, but I really liked the fact that they didn't really dwell on that, but they do have that prior relationship where they are comfortable speaking to each other and talking about deep issues that are hurtful. You know, and Colossus talks to her about basically committing suicide so that they can come back and he wants to come back without the pain. And she says, no, I want to remember. So at the end, she echoes that and she says, you know, when I come back, I want to remember all of it. And I thought that was significant because when we talk about trauma, You know, some people feel like if they could just forget it, they would. And other people want to keep that pain because it helps them focus who they are. And there's not a right answer or a wrong answer. But I thought that was an interesting philosophical point that that the book brought up. So I really enjoyed that. I loved the colors. I know it wasn't everybody's favorite, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. Talking about the way that it's her talking to Colossus, when I think about significant Colossus stories, it's kind of hard to look past Gifted from Astonishing X-Men, in which Colossus was held in a test tube and experimented on at length. 
he was then, by his own words, made of rage for years. Colossus understood pain and loss in a way that you can really only do to a Russian characters because it's sort of built into their literature. So he being the one to be there with her where she was experimented on and she's lost so much now. Yeah, you know, there's a reason it's the two of them. Ultimately, if they wound up getting back together, I'd be okay with it. But I don't know that it's necessary. So I'm also glad they steered pretty far from it. The two other things that I actually enjoyed most about this issue of X-Force were the relationship between Domino and Colossus. I think this is probably the most interesting Colossus has been written for me since I've been reading him in Uncanny. Uh, There seems to be a little bit more depth to his character here, which I do appreciate. And I do appreciate getting to know Domino and this really interesting character growth that she's going on through this story. I also really appreciate Sage and all of this because Sage is basically the equivalent of the hacker on every spy team where they like hit their computer a bunch where a bunch of random numbers pop up because that's not how coding works at all. Hackers <laughs> of the world unite! And she's like getting through the firewall. Okay, I'm in. And that's basically what Sage does. But like she's cool and I like her glasses. I love a woman with glasses. It's in that place where I ask you to get that thing that time. I will. Very quick sidebar. There is at least, there's one page where they draw reflections through Sage's glasses and it looks horrifying. I don't know what went <laughs> on with the art team for those panels, but they're they're not they, they actually scare me. It's, it's, oh yeah, you're right. I just appreciate Sage being utilized in a way that was like pretty cool. My problem with X-Force right now is that I'm missing characters. I'm missing Black Tom. I'm missing Gene. I'm missing Beast. I'm missing Wolverine. I'm missing Quentin. There were more characters in these stories that I feel like can help enhance it. Wolverine and Gene do get appearances elsewhere, which is great. But Black Tom, who was kind of like made to be like this like really important character for X-Force, has not been seen at all. And I'm still wondering what is going on in his head because he is not acting as normal black Tom crazy would. He's Krakoan crazy black Tom right now and I'm concerned for him. I would appreciate more of these characters interacting with this story as well as because if this is the mutant CIA, why is it just these two characters? Where Where is the other where are the other agents? I love Domino as a character and I feel like even though she's had her own series a handful of times including one from two years ago by Gail Simone and David Baldion which was an amazing series I feel like a lot of fans don't know Domino, so I'm glad that we are getting this little mini story. I feel like this story has been rehashed in a couple different ways by different writers, though, so I would prefer a different story. I'm glad that the Dawn of X is introducing Domino to maybe some fans who just started. I want to point out something that Regina said. I'm glad that Cecilia had her her discussions with Domino and Cecilia or Dr. Reyes alone. I love the fact that she has been in, I'm pretty sure, almost every Dawn of X title, at least in one panel. And that's awesome. Especially makes sense with her character being in New Mutants, the upcoming film. And I have long stand Dr. Reyes, and I'm just so happy that she's a member of the X-Books. She would literally stab you if you called her an X-Man. That is not her (laughs) shit. 
But it's okay to call her a member of the X-Clan. And I think that's a gift in and of itself. So this whole X-Force series, we've seen Domino with this glowy eye. Was there ever an explanation of what's causing that? It's Krakoan medicine keeping her alive right now. When she was skinned alive, they uh, infused her body with uh, parts of Krakoa to keep her going. Okay, I must have missed that. Okay, so that would probably lead us to believe that she will no longer have that when she's resurrected. Or maybe she likes it and she wants to keep it. And that's why they're talking about custom gene sequencing. The X of Swords crossover in the summer shows Domino with that thing still on her arm because she has a sword with it. Maybe she just likes it so much. Or maybe now she's got, like, Krakoan powers. Maybe, like, she merged with Krakoa. Isn't part of Domino's, like, Krakoan arm, wasn't that specifically from Forge that he made that it reacts to her mind? Yeah, that's that's one of his bioweapons. Okay, that's what I was just making sure. Kia from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Hey, I'm Rod Baxter from House of X, House of Guthrie, House of Iceman, and House of Shade. My favourite book from this new Dawn of X era has got to be Marauders because of the characterization overall, especially in recent issues with Storm's grief, Iceman lashing out, Emma Frost just being a general badass, and I guess really the highlight, seeing Bobby let loose, be himself, with the occasional sneaky pash with Christian. It's all good. The next book we're going to look at this week is Excalibur number eight, The Unspeakable and the Uneatable Part Two. Uh, Teeny Howard was the writer. The pencilers were Wilton Santos and Marcus Two. And we had a boatload of inkers Sean Parsons, Marcus Two, Robert Poggi, and Victor Nava. The color artist was Eric Arseniega, and VC's Joe Sabino was the letterer. You got to give it up to any colorist who colors a book penciled by two people and inked by four people like it's one consistent bit of art. These comic books are coming out at such breakneck pace, it's unbelievable to expect any artist to be able to get this stuff done on time sometimes. So when the art team does have to explode into a new form like this, where you bring on a bunch of people, having someone who can make it consistent, like one color artist, who can bring a narrative story to it, that's pretty amazing. Also, gays are catty. That moment where Cullen's like, hey, Jonah, you freaked the fuck out about this. Okay. Only because it's Cullen's line of, I'm tired of pretending us gays with superpowers don't keep tabs on one another. That I think is one of the funniest things because I will say this from my own personal experience as a gay man. If I get a friend request from somebody and they are mutual friends with Dylan, Kyle, Nico, and Kevo, 90% of the time, if they are a male, they're probably attracted to men. I'm just saying. It is a... common thing where if you kind of want to figure out if someone's you know into men you'll look to see if you have mutual facebook friends and if you do (laughs) it's like when all of these gay creators start talking on twitter and i'm like you guys met on grinder admit it But for the most part, I, I, I enjoyed the issue. There were some things that I thought made no sense about the Cullen stuff. Like, it kind of seemed a little bonk. He did mention his sister. <laughs> he did. He did. So that's another in the Elsa column. I have a legitimate reason to talk about it and bring her up. Dylan is sitting there going, let it go. Let it go. Wrong Elsa, but let it go. <laughs> 
Listen, if you keep, you should do what I do and just keep bringing up Monet because eventually the universe has to listen and be like, all right, we get it. I bring her up every episode. I'm go for it. I don't know, Dylan. Try harder. (laughs) There's the door slam. Colin's kind of like a gay influencer, and he's also kind of like, I'm only pretending to want to eat you guys, kind of. I did think a lot of the dialogue here was a little moopy. And, you know, Regina, you were really right that the indication of Betsy's violence in this story actually only got more compounded in the second issue. Yeah, it was it was a little weird. (laughs) And then she tells Jubilee, well, maybe you should start carrying a sword. And I was like, whoa, Bets, calm down. Seriously, this is not pre-Giuliani New York. (laughs) Which is a time I imagine everyone just carried a bunch of swords at all times. There's a panel where she's wearing this like olden time nightgown. (laughs) Kind of a weird contrast between her just swinging the sword and beheading this creature again. (laughs) Now, of course, we've put it off as long as we could. I love him. My little baby warwolf. Oh, you know, they had, they had, oh no, same noise, same noise. They had said that this character was going to come out at some point and put baby Yoda to shame. Okay. I don't quite think this broke the internet in half, Joey Q, but I, I love this little baby werewolf. However, it does seem a little like deposit Shogo in Otherworld and now baby werewolf. Yeah. I did like this apocalypse or a, as we shall call him, um, kind of tells Betsy, you know, I require all of these werewolves to be destroyed. They're all, they all need to be dead. That's what I want. She's like, screw you (laughs) so i did like seeing her stand up to him about that but this little war wolf is so adorable i do miss shogo though and i I think it's going to be interesting i hope we continue to see this little baby i'm sure it's going to bring up questions about nature versus nurture and that's always fun and i have a new ship because betsy gives this war wolf to rachel and now i want them to be booed up i want it please give it to me As long as she can also be booed up with Pete, I'm completely in. So for me, I feel like this entire issue was poisoned by Cullen. His actions with Richter really made me upset. The fact that he tried to manipulate Richter with a kiss really made me feel very uncomfortable and... I believe the medical term is super duper icky. Oh my god, I was super gonna say icky, icky too. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, uh, there's, that's the only word for it. It's it's super duper icky. It's, and I hope that we move on from him now that we have dealt with the war wolves because I do not want to see him again. I am fine with Elsa. I just don't want Cullen anywhere near my poor, sweet, innocent Richter. Richter's creeping me the fuck out lately, well, so I don't know yeah. how sweet and innocent that boy is anymore. <laughs> the Cullen part was icky even though I think it's icky I do want to say I am glad-ish I don't know I hate the part but I also like the part on an LGBT standpoint because how many times have we seen in comics through decades and decades of male villains doing the exact same thing to female characters so it is nice that that's in there even though it was still icky it would still be icky even if it was a male and a female or two women it was icky but yeah anyway i agree with (laughs) i agree i agree with regina i totally ship betsy and rachel now i'm glad that we got to see rachel i'm glad that their little interaction is basically a little tiny little setup for x-factor 
I do want to say, though, when it comes to Excalibur, I love all of these characters. I do kind of still hate the fact that it seems like the Captain Britain show. I think for me, the reason it still kind of feels like the Captain Britain show is when it comes to, I, I know when it comes to Excalibur stories, it is all about mysticism and everything that's always came with the Excalibur franchise. I really feel like Jubilee and Richter and Rogue and Gambit just don't fit with that type of story. And I don't know, I just want something a little bit different for Excalibur for it to make sense for the other characters of the team. It does feel like this was get a lot of A-listers and B-listers in the book to help soften the fact that it's not the Excalibur you're expecting because of Apocalypse. This book really is Apocalypse versus Betsy in a lot of ways. And yeah, I see how it's a lot of people added on top of an already very busy ice cream sundae. A lot of toppings on that weird sundae. And I think a busy ice cream sundae is probably the best way to describe Excalibur right now. There's a lot going on and there's not a lot going on behind the scenes in characterization of conflicts that aren't outright spoken, but like you can kind of definitely see that they're there. As far as Cullen goes, he was kind of meh. I would have to read more into how exactly he's currently living with a monster inside of him, considering his sister is supposed to be the greatest monster slayer that there is. And That's he thing. and comes from the family of monster slayers. So why he's allowed to run around with a monster inside of him, don't exactly know. You can actually find those answers in Avengers Arena if you're interested. That was his big introduction well that's be great because we're i'm reading elsa in her first ever appearance in series he's currently not even born that would be correct he's currently <laughs> six months inside of their mother been inside of their mother for six months that nope still doesn't help i don't like where this is going move to your Ew. next point the way I feel, uh, I don't appreciate his creepy, unwarranted advances on Richter. I am okay with villains being part of the LGBT community because although I know that a lot of times villains are queer coded in order to make them seem more evil, I don't mind that he is. I do mind that he's predatory. The rest of this issue, it still felt like a very classic issue to a comic. There's nothing wrong with it. I guess it just didn't excite me that much, but know what I do want now that we're talking about it? I still want Meg's babysitter club where she just takes all the kids and now Rachel has to pop in to drop off her war wolf baby. I would genuinely love that. Like Megan. Megan miniseries. Megan's unstoppable. Like truly. And so you could probably put all of the babies like during Empire they should just like shove all the babies into <laughs> other world and Megan, <laughs> Megan would just be like babies and like she'd be fine with it. So because what we have what we have her child. If you gave her Angel and Beak's kids, there's like eight there. We have Shogo. We now have this Warwolf. No one seems to care about Valeria. <laughs> no, except for Sue. Sue cares deeply for her. It's just me and Sue, but like I mean, <laughs> Reed can't be bothered. Towards the beginning, they have this dinner scene, and Jubilee gets a little snarky with Colin. I really like that because she kind of calls him out because he kind of says, "Let's not talk about our powers or this parasite or whatever." And she's like, "Well, wait a minute. You have a parasite, but we are mutants. I'm still a mutant, even if I'm not using my powers." And then Betsy kind of <laughs> backs her up and says. You know, the ring helps you suppress the monster, but not you. It's it's different than being a mutant. And then he gets all mad. And he's like, well, whose side are you on? And then he leaves. <laughs> and I just really enjoyed that part. What a big bratty baby boy. Bossy bottom. <laughs> okay. So the next book we're going to look at, the last book of the week, is Marauders number 9, Journey to the Center of Pyro. 
Jerry Dugan was the writer. Matteo Lolly was the artist. Edgar Delgado is the color artist. And VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. My pick of the episode, for sure. I concur. I loved every layer of Emma being like, let him think he exploded. Let him think they exploded. Let him think they, like, it was so, like, I kept being like, is this the last one? Is this the last, are we still in it? Are I at it? Like, it felt like an episode of Star Trek where I was trapped on the holodeck. And I loved it because it was intentionally kind of overlapped. It wasn't poorly written. This is an an amazing example of an amazing device used so well and utilizing characters for who they are and what they offer to the narrative as opposed to forcing characters into positions where they don't belong. I got to say, we got to see Pyro explode and blow up, which I think is hysterical. I couldn't stop laughing. I literally shouted, <laughs> he blew up! Not just specifically blown up, a submarine expanded inside of him and he... I believe the medical term for that one is exploder to did. Exploder to did. Now, I obviously talked about her at the very beginning of this episode. Uh, Emma, to me, was the breakout star here. And it's more than just Emma being badass. It's this interesting growth where if this happened magically, when Emma was first introduced, you know that the hominis Verandi would, would have been dead. Emma would not have stopped. She would not have told Pyro to stop. She would have trapped them in this weird psychic prison where they were in this internal loop of playing these scenarios and being tortured constantly. Constantly. But it's Emma's growth here of recognizing I have bigger things to deal with right now and I have a lot of issues I'm trying to resolve. They understood the message. Uh, we're done with this. And it was this knowing when to stop and knowing I, I have more pressing matters and I have bigger priorities mainly with Kate really did speak volume about Emma and I'm really happy to see that growth from her. I was also happy to see Magneto flick that little brat away like he was nothing. <laughs> I think I did mention when Yellow Jacket was first inserted inside of Pyro that I thought they're not going to get as much information as they were going to. Because if you read a couple of Yellow Jacket's files, it's all just hallucinations at this point. I feel like the art for Emma in this was basically her really concerned about what was going on inside Pyro's head. But I feel like that art was also still conveying the fact that Emma is very distraught about what's happened to Kate. She had, like, wild eyes the whole issue. And, like Nico mentioned, I'm super happy that we got to see Magneto flick Yellow Jacket away. But I also really enjoyed the fact that we got to have a cameo of the Stepford Cuckoos. Especially loving the fact that Esme is, seems to be, like, the main one now. Even though she must have recent was recently resurrected. Because when she and her other sister whose name i can't remember were the two dead ones celeste was the main sister but now that esme's alive yeah it's really confusing when there's five of them it's esme celeste mel b mel c and emma right <laughs> totally real quick that made me want to say something that i forgot to say during excalibur when oh my god i can't remember who it was but i think it may have been richter he called betsy posh spice that was amazing Oh, it was. That was that was one of those cutting lines where if Victoria Beckham doesn't do a cosplay as Captain Britain, I don't want anything. I want Victoria Beckham back to back with Olivia Munn, and I just want oh them my to God, pose that with would be amazing. Ooh, that really would. I would imagine. I thought Betsu would be more the Jerry of the group. <laughs> No, no, I'm pretty sure, and I mean this with all the love I can muster, I'm pretty sure Gambit is the Jerry of the group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guarantee! <laughs> you know I, mean? 
I say, I say, I say. I do believe that that rabbit is not going to get... Wait, no, that's Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn is very much just this Baton Rouge Southern. Oh, my so, God. And we all know Gambit is the Foghorn Leghorn of the X-Men. Yeah, and if somebody could get Chanticleer from Rockadoodle in there, I would feel very fulfilled. I loved the way that this story was laid out. There were multiple times where I would have to go back and look over the art multiple times to just verify that what I had just seen was what happened. And then I flip the page and it's like, oh, no, that was an illusion from inside of Yellow Jacket's head. I loved that. Just being surprised with each turn of the page, just having what I thought was going on not actually being real. Dugan can write a hell of a book. We also spend some time in Arbor Magna, where it's revealed that Kate's egg keeps being unviable. That that was gut-wrenching. Yeah, that just like last issue where I was distraught after realizing that Kate was really dead. I was distraught realizing that hey, maybe she's not going to come back. Can I propose a theory? Do you think this is Doug's doing? You know, I I hadn't even considered the Doug of it, and that blows my mind. I keep thinking about Days of Future Past and how Destiny said that Kate Pride coming back to the present is what changed everything. So I've been torn if, if this is some sort of Destiny Mystique thing, and if you won't give me my wife back, you can't have your precious daughter. And now that you're saying, what if it's Doug? What if Doug is like keeping Kate for himself somehow because nope i'm so sorry kyle but i'm convinced doug is i have long said that doug is the most powerful mutant in all of all of the x-men i believe that if doug can speak any language doug should be able to take out jamie braddock because doug should be able to speak the language of reality if doug can speak any language doug should be able to speak the language of magic and unarm apocalypse the ability that doug has shown for the ability to look at molecules and know how they talk to one another has given him such an unbelievable power level that we should be scared of Doug at like all times. Yeah, I'm starting to feel that way too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that. I just wanted to add to what Kyle said when they went to Arbor Magna. Just the top panel where you get to see the five reminded me so much of the last issue where everyone is just so heartbroken and you can see it. And yeah, to see it on the five's faces, it's like you can just see that Elixir doesn't understand why he can't heal something. Hope just seems pissed off like she always does. Proteus seems like he doesn't understand why his powers of just anything can't work. Tempest looks like she is bawling her eyes out. And the other person whose name will go unannounced, he just looks like his puppy died. What a great point, because each one of those people you've said, their reaction makes a lot of sense. Proteus's final days as, you know, a real living creature were the issue before Kitty's introduction. For Proteus, it really would be about why are my powers failing. But Elixir was brought to the school right when, right before Kate came back. And, you know, Kitty was the golden child 
world of Astonishing, and every book responded to Astonishing. When Elixir was first an ex-student, Kitty Pride was the shit. And the Bendis era hinged strongly on the state of the X-universe, and Kitty is always at the heart of that. I, you make a really great argument. These characters in particular would be devastated on a unique level. Cable would have raised hope with great stories of Kate Pride, the amazing warrior who could travel through time and save people. Like, this is... That, that level to the art really brings the book up a notch for me. So I don't have a lot to add. I agree with most everyone's points. I do have a minor gripe about the art. Lucas Bishop is an enormous man. <laughs> He's like six seven, yeah. And in this book, he just looks kind of average. And I like a big buff dude. So the next issue, I need my big buff bishop. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Bishop is the center focus of a lot of times showing off beefcake art in the X-Men. It was a huge point Claremont and LaRocca made in Extreme X-Men. So hearkening back to 20 years ago, there have been people clamoring for more sexually appealing Bishop for 20 years. <laughs> I'm glad this is an ongoing thing. Have you seen Bishop? <laughs> and the other thing is, and I guess I feel the need to point this out. When Bishop was all about killing baby Hope, I was so pissed off at his character. I was just, I was so turned off. I was just in a state of rage. <laughs> so I feel like he's finally coming back around to someone I can admire and enjoy and root for. And I got to give it to this writer. Jerry Dugan is amazing. I, I have loved everything he's done so far. Um, and bringing Bishop back around to being the hero that he is for me it is just enormous. Thank you so much, Jerry, if you're listening. Thank you. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Jerry Dugan, we cannot stop singing your praises. So, um, please keep showering us with amazing characters. I just want us not to forget to mention the bestest boy that there is in the whole wide world. And that is Lockheed. I love that we got to see that he's like fully healed and became friends with this chick for like a week or so and decides to leave. But before he leaves, he brings her half a fish. I love that. <laughs> that was so sweet. Wait, oh my, wait, wow, wait, hold on. What if Kate can't come back because of Lockheed? What if they're connected in some meaningful, magical way and they need Lockheed to bring Kate back? Her eggs aren't viable because they can't draw her essence out of Krakoa. But what if Lockheed and her relationship as he's a magical space dragon maybe changes the Why story? do you want to make me cry? I'm going to cry <laughs> if this is true. Like... And, like, I kind of need him to just, like, blow this, like, magical fire onto Kate's egg that, like, makes it light up and she just phases out of it and hugs her dragon. Like, that's what, what I need it, now. What if it scrambles her egg so... instead? <laughs> oh. Well, that would have been over too easy. Oh. Don't poach this idea from other people. Oh. <laughs> My brain is feeling a little hard-boiled. Guys. Guys. Enough. <laughs> of course i'm a mom i'm in a lot of mom groups and a lot of moms call their kids crotch goblins where's my door slamming that sound so so when pyro says burn you tiny hate goblins i just died <laughs> The data pages have hinted that Emma is in the process of planning a party. 
So I'm I'm wondering if this is actual party or if this is the hinted at by Marauders Tens cover a funeral for Kate. Well, I'm looking forward to whatever this Hellfire Kiki is. Yes, but it's going to be a while because Marauders is not currently on the list for about a month. Yeah, I mean, they rushed out so many issues so quickly of so many titles, and now they have so many new books starting. It does seem like some of the books that we've gotten pretty used to are going to slow down. Hi, this is Chris Riley with X Reads the Podcast, and my favorite House of X title is Marauders. You got Storm, Iceman, Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, all of my favorite characters in one title. It's the best. It's sassy. You got a lot of great fashion moments, a lot of great quips between the characters, and it's the most fun. So Marauders is definitely my favorite. At the time of recording this, I think it is a great honor for International Women's Day that we got a lot of issues celebrating women doing what they do best and being great superheroes, women, and everything we could ever ask for and handling them great. Most of them, at least. I think most of us have the consensus that maybe Domino could have been written a little bit better or something was a little bit off with Domino's issue and Excalibur was a whole mudsling of a lot going on. Let's take a step back a little bit. But I think for the most part, New Mutants and Marauders really did great to highlight the amazing X-Women that they are currently trying to focus on in their narratives. Kyle, what can we expect next week? Next week, we have Cable number one, which will have three covers. New Mutants. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. New Mutants number nine and X-Men number eight. For trades, we have Dawn of X volume three and Wolverine epic collection Inner Fury. Until next time, though, you can find me lurking around the internet on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate that is titled House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan, that is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G, on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG, or on Facebook at the House of Goblin Queen. Dona, where can everybody find you? find me on twitter and instagram at peak jonah nico where can everybody find you you guys can find me all over this amazing network whether it's on shows like html or making guest spots all over the cage club guys don't forget to check us out at xsforpodcast.com as well as we and you can check me out at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n members of the x's for podcast team will be appearing throughout the summer at multiple conventions keep an eye out for us in may at awesome con june at blurred con and don't forget to check us out like every year at new york comic con in october i know it's a while away but guys it's finally con season so i am in a quite a good mood right, and got yeah yay for hell yeah so (laughs) yay for hell yeah okay so and guys until we return to talk more about stacy x and dupe we'll see you bye Bye. no